This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. The state is working with older foster children to prepare them for the real world. Beekeeping is on the rise in Missouri, and our bees are healthy and doing quite well in the states. We'll hear more about that. The Power and Light District in downtown Kansas City is planning to host a fan experience. If you're traveling to the KC area for the NFL draft, you may want to check out the Fan Zone, which will begin on Wednesday. It will host numerous activities that feature NFL and musical artist celebrities. Joining us from the Power and Light District is Jason Bradley. He gives us the rundown with Cameron Connor. The, the Kansas City Power and Light District is uh, you know, quite literally in the heart of uh, downtown Kansas City here. Um, it's an eight-city block uh, neighborhood, uh, is what we like to call it, and it's directly across the street from uh, from the T-Mobile Center, where a lot of uh, big Missouri-type events happen, uh, Big 12 uh, tournament and all that good stuff. Um, and here in the district, um, you know, before this area was built, it was kind of uh, um, a blighted area and a ran-down portion of downtown. Um, and over the last 15 years, um, it's been built out to feature, um, we're currently on our third high-rise residential uh, tower. And then uh, kind of in my side of the world, uh, we do a ton of entertainment. Um, and we've made some really good progress, uh, really on the on the world scale, um, as far as our watch parties uh, anchored around our sports, um, you know, whether it be local sports uh, with, you know, the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting, uh, Casey Current, all that good stuff. But also, uh, we've we've been featured um, worldwide for a lot of FIFA World Cup watch parties um, on, on you know the big broadcast. So um, we like to we like to claim we're the uh, the living room of Kansas City and the heartbeat of the city. Um, and it seems to be that people gravitate here for all these big events. And of course, with the with the draft coming up, um, we're kind of we're, we're expecting the some huge turnouts. The living room. Kansas City. I absolutely love that description of it because it makes perfect sense. And to your point, I think every single time I've been watching a Kansas City style sporting event where there is a cutaway to a location on site in Kansas City, it's always been power and light. So that, that that's that's definitely a good way to describe it. And you talked about the NFL draft. It's a fantastic opportunity for Kansas City as a whole. And of course, it's a great opportunity for the power and light district. So can you give me the itinerary of what the event's going to be called and everything you're showcasing during the time? Absolutely. So, you know, we've had this marked on our calendar um, uh, since even before it was announced. Uh, we worked uh, in conjunction with the city and, and, you know, there's a lot of work done by the city and by the local uh, sports commission to to even get, you know, in, in the conversation to host one of these types of deals. And, and we think it's going to be the biggest, you know, event that Kansas City as a whole has ever seen. Um, so we are incredibly excited and we've had a, a wonderful relationship with our partners, uh, Coca-Cola, who have come in and uh, partnered with us for this uh, upcoming week. Um, we're calling it the uh, Coca-Cola Fan Zone. And it's it's a lot of layers. And of course, it's all it's all centered around the draft and the broadcast, um, you know, which we will heavily feature. But in addition to that, uh, we're going to do what we do all the time here. And that's just layer things up and give uh, an excuse for people to come out early and, and stay late. So part of that is um, with our Wednesday night um, entertainment. We were lucky enough to get uh, arguably the hottest female in country music right now, Lainey Wilson. She's going to do a free show. 
So we, you know, we're we're about a five thousand cap venue here. So we think we think we're probably going to have more people that want to attend than they can actually get in. So of course we encourage people to get here early, and it's first come first serve. And we've done things like this in the past, uh, so we we kind of know what to expect. But that gets us kicked off on Wednesday night. It's kind of our pre-draft kickoff. Thursday, first round of the draft. We've got some pre-show entertainment on that day, featuring uh, a well-known. Uh, touring musician uh, in the hip hop world, Tech Nine, obviously from here in Kansas City. He's going to make a, a featured uh, um, before a quick performance for us on a full show, but a quick performance to kick us off. Um, we've got a lot of cool stuff with, uh, for example, Trent Green's going to be here with uh, the Ron McDonald House to do a little stuff or a little something on stage. Um, and then we're, we're going to show the draft and we're going to really embrace the first round of the draft, you know, with with what we do here in our entertainment options. And then after the first round of the draft, we have a uh, a great band from Salina, Kansas called Paramount. Um, so every night we kind of cap our events off with live music. Same thing for Friday. Friday, we, we're, we're starting early. Uh, we're opening here at 11 a.m. And we've got things lined out all day, whether it be. Um, trivia contest, utilizing our big screen, um, a lot of fan cam stuff. Uh, we like to toss in the occasional limbo contest because it's, hey, it's great people watching. We've got prizes from about everybody you can think of to give away. So we're not just asking people to come up and do the limbo uh, for a high five. We're actually going to give them something for that. And same thing, we're going to show that we're going to show the the, uh, the the second and third round of the draft um, that evening. And we cap that night off with another great local band, Cowardly Lions. If, if anyone's from the Kansas City market, they'd like to go watch live music. They've surely heard about those guys. They're fun. And then Saturday, uh, we head right into the last few rounds of the draft, uh, which actually wraps up a little earlier than normal, but we're firing up at 11 a.m. And then we're going to cap that night with another local legend uh, um, cover band called uh, Perpetual Change. Uh, we've had them several times. Uh, they they're a great band and they cover kind of that, you know, any, anywhere from U2 down to, uh, to to Green Day. So um, that's kind of our entertainment lineup and and we keep it going all day. There's really not a dull moment. Uh, if you're here uh, for more than about 20 minutes, you're going to you're going to find some kind of entertainment. Definitely looks like there's going to be some sort of entertaining action at any sort of time frame or anywhere you look. <laughs> That's yes, probably absolutely. one of the best ways to describe it. And you're just now tuning into this. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Cameron Connor. We're here with Jason Bradley. He's the director of entertainment and production for the Power and Light District in the heart of Kansas City. We're talking about the Coca-Cola fan zone that they're going to be offering during the entire time frame of the NFL draft. One of the next questions that I kind of want to turn this to is I've I've done an interview with the Kansas City Sports Commission already as well, and they said that they're anticipating in the Kansas City area at the draft site itself about 100,000 people or so are going to be moving through on a day-in, day-out basis. And I'm assuming a lot of that, whether they start at Power and Light or end up funneling their way over to that area at some point, you're going to be getting a lot of the overflow. So what's <laughs> what's the preparation like for something like this, I guess? You know, we're 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 lucky in the in the aspect of we've done several big things before. I mean, not on not on this scale as far as citywide, but, um, you know, we we kind of brushed up or talked about those um, kind of well-known watch parties. You know, for example, um, we're just coming off the Super Bowl uh, watch party that we had recently um, where we're, uh, you know, we're literally at capacity in our in our outdoor Kansas City Live area, but and also in all of our bars and restaurants are absolutely full. Um, and 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 on that event, we actually scale up to include uh, Grand Boulevard, which can hold another you know five or six thousand people out there. So we do have um, kind of a playbook that we can pull from whenever we do these types of events. So 
it's nice in the fact that some of the prep is already done. However, this is such a unique event and not having anything to compare it to um, makes it a challenge. I mean, we have to be prepared to um, accept multiple thousands of people, possibly at 11 a.m. We don't know if uh, if they're going to head down and check out the, the fan experience at Union Station first and come here later. So really, you know, as far as the prep on our end, you've got to be ready for the unexpected and, and be staffed up and make sure that we're not assuming um, that people aren't going to come here first and head down there, you know, and, and, and get caught in a situation to where we've got a lot of guests and uh, and not not the staff to handle it. So we're, we're staffed up on the on the service side of the world. We're, we're staffed up on the entertainment entertainment side of the world. And then of course, we're staffed up on the security uh, side of the world. So. It, it's great to have the experience, and 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 this is kind of what we do on a regular basis. However, you know the prep has been long uh, on this one. Um, I feel like every email I'm responding to right now that's not draft related, I'm like, I will get back to you after the draft, uh, just because it's kind of consumed all of us mentally and uh, and even physically. So we're ready, uh, we're prepared, but um, it's it, it's been a lot. Uh, we're we're excited that we even get this opportunity. This is. Absolutely a bucket list, um, you know, in my personal career, but also for us as a as a business. If you've missed any part of this interview, make sure find share wherever you get your podcast. Just search "Show Me Today: The Voice of Missouri." The United States Deputy Sheriffs Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. Like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now, that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Matthew. Oh, sorry. It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. 
Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. Beekeeping has become quite a hobby and quite a business for some, uh, even small farmers here in Missouri. Joining us is Gail Severance uh, in the Jefferson City area. Welcome, Gail. How long have you been a beekeeper? Um, I started with bees about 10 years ago. Um, and it happened when my husband thought it would be fun. And he said, hey, Gail, did I tell you I ordered the bees and they're coming tomorrow? <laughs> Um, <laughs> that sounds like a typical husband move. <laughs> uh, and that that has led to a just a fun journey with bees and a lot of learning and a fascinating hobby. That That's how it all began. Now, did you have any, did you show any prior interest in beekeeping before your husband just went out on a limb and ordered a bunch of bees? Well, I've always been a, a big fan of, of bugs and creatures and animals, and uh, we have a farm that out in Loman, and uh, that just sort of seemed like a natural progression. He has a lot of fruit trees and orchards. We have a big garden, so the bees were were sort of a fun addition. Yeah. You know, uh, spouses normally just surprise uh, with puppies. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. All right. So, yeah, you've you've been doing this for 10 years, and, I mean, there's a real need for for bees. Yes, um, you do hear a lot about, you know, colony collapse and the bees and how important they are to our food food supply. Um, from my personal view in mid-Missouri, the bees are doing great. Um, so the, the first few years I did lose my colonies over the winter, which is pretty normal for new beekeepers. Um, there is a huge learning curve with beekeeping and um you know, the first year I, I start, we started with two hives and lost them both. And I think the next year we might have lost them both. Um, but now we're up to about 16 hives and I have not had, knock on wood, any win- winter losses. So I credit some of that with me just being a better, more knowledgeable beekeeper. Um, but I, I have not personally experienced some of the things that you hear about in the news. And I, I, most experienced beekeepers seem to be doing pretty well now. Well, that's good to hear that bees are thriving in Missouri. Gail Severance is with us. Now, you're part of Show Me Beekeepers. This is a, a group of bee farmers in Missouri. Tell us uh, about that. Yes, Show Me Beekeepers is a local club of beekeepers. We started about five years ago, um, and we have about probably 50 to 60 members and in any meeting we probably get about 25 or 30 people to come and it's a huge range of experienced beekeepers who have been doing it for 20 plus years and then new new beekeepers who are just wanting to get into the hobby Um, we have a really nice partnership with the missouri soy association and we meet at their center for innovation on country club they have a beautiful facility there and they let us keep there are bees in their backyard. 
Oh, that's nice. Um, so the meetings are open to anyone. We meet on the second Thursday of the month at six o'clock. And um, I, my biggest advice for anyone who wants to get into beekeeping is join a club, get a mentor, take some classes, read some books. There, There is just a lot to know in beekeeping. Now, when you say country club, you're talking about Country Club Drive in Jefferson City. Yes. Uh, it is uh, showmebeekeepers.org. How many new uh, beekeepers do you get a year? Do you find that the group is growing? Um, yes, we do have a... Um, you know, every meeting brings in a few new people, um, and I do feel like our group is growing, and we, we get, um, um, you know, that <laughs> we do get a lot of new new people and new interest, and um, usually we can match them up with somebody who can help them get started. So a mentor is key. Gail Severance is a beekeeper in Jefferson City, and she's a part of the Show Me Beekeepers. Uh, just a couple of general questions. Uh, if you look at like a five or six ounce bottle of honey, how many bees or how much time does it take to produce that much? Um, one bee in its whole life makes about, I think it's a quarter of a teaspoon, or just a tiny amount of honey. Oh, my. Um, and each each bottle represents millions of trips of bees to flowers. Um, so they, they work hard their whole lives. The, a summer bee only lives for about a month, um, and they work very hard to make every ounce of honey. So, Gail, you say you um, have 16 hives. How many bees, approximately? A hive probably averages about 50,000 bees. 50,000 times 16. I, I'd have to use a calculator for that. That's a lot of bees. <laughs> Do they yes, ever just take off on their own and say, forget it, I'm starting my own hive, I'm going somewhere else? You know, like a, a teenage bee, you know, has to get out. I, listen, i got to expand my wings, i got to get out of here. Absolutely they do that. Um, that is the natural process for bees to reproduce um, is swarming. So when the bees swarm, and this is the week for swarming, so probably now through the first week of May is when people should keep their eyes out for swarms. So what happens is the, the old queen and half the bees, so maybe 20,000 bees in the old queen, fly off in search of a new home, and they leave their, their sisters behind to make a new queen. Um, and if you see a swarm, it's pretty spectacular to see it flying. It looks like a tornado of bees. It's very loud, um, and they move at a pretty good clip from, you know, wherever they left from, and then they usually... Um, uh, form a clump on a tree. So they congregate somewhere on a tree while they're figuring out where their next permanent home is. And if you see a swarm, the most important thing is don't ever, ever, ever spray it with pesticides. The swarming bees are very gentle and they won't sting you. They're just looking for a new home. Um, and if you call a beekeeper, they will be very excited and they will come get them. Um, and you can either find us through Show Me Beekeepers or you can um, look on the Missouri State Beekeepers website to find a local beekeeper that will collect your swarm. Showmebeekeepers.org. Keep that website handy. And you can contact a beekeeper if you see a swarm by your house. They would be more than happy to pick it up for you. How many times have you been stung in your life, Gail? Um, I really don't like to get stung, so I suit up every time. Um, you can see, you know, amazing videos on 
on social media of people who let bees climb all over their their bare skin, but that is not me. <laughs> um, I get stung probably a couple times a year, but I really don't don't like that to happen. So I wear a full suit and gloves all the time. Uh, Gail, yes. do, do you make a business out of this? Do you sell your honey? I do sell my honey. I probably get about 400 to 500 pounds last year. Um, and I, I do sell honey. I started off just wanting to have enough to give to my friends and um, the people at, at our Temple Bethel. Um, and it has, it has grown. So I, I do... Um, sell honey. I have a, just a little box by the front door and people can come at their convenience and pick it up. Um, I'm getting kind of to the end of last year's harvest. So we'll be harvesting honey again this, in June or July and we'll have the a, a fresh crop of honey. Well, I, I don't want to give out your address uh, across statewide and then you know, on our podcast show me today, which would go worldwide. But if somebody is interested in getting some honey from you, how could they reach out to you? There, there is a honey finder on the Missouri State Beekeeper website, and you can click on that and say, you know, find a honey, a local beekeeper near me, and they they list people who sell honey there. Um, I I would like to speak for a minute about local honey versus store bought honey. Yeah. Um, there there is a big difference. So when you buy honey from a local beekeeper, you're getting honey that came straight from the beehive. Um, it's extracted and it still has all the good enzymes in it. And it has actually tiny bits of pollen that help with allergies. When you buy store-bought honey, commercial honey from, from a box store or sometimes local grocery stores have local honey, but um, frequently store-bought honey has been heated and put through a, a fine filtration system. And it's like, sort of like pasteurizing and it kills all the good enzymes it filters out all the the good stuff um and if you look carefully at the bottle sometimes you it, it might say packaged in missouri but the honey might actually be coming from outside the united states so read those labels carefully if you get honey from china it might even have corn syrup in it so i i kind of heard the analogy of it compared to canned corn versus corn on the cob when you buy canned corn it's you know, it's been processed, it's in the can, and it's a, it's dead. When you eat corn on the cob that was just picked from the field, it is fresh and it's sort of a, a living organism. So you can think of your honey that way. Local beekeeper Gail Severance, thank you for the visit. Okay, thank you. Yeah, this is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past a turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's It's our roads. It's It's our safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. If you're talking, they will hear you. Why are we getting killed like this? Kyle's not here. Got caught drinking during the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Harsh. Hey, he knew not to drink. We've made that clear to all of our kids, right? Uh, no, not really. Bill, if we don't tell them what we expect and why they shouldn't drink, how are they going to know? Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. You try it. 
All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact, like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control and priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana and vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Email from school about the incident today. Scary. Tell me about it. Did you have any idea that was going on? None. I mean, you saw Derek at the game last night, too. Did you have a clue? No. But you know, teachers like me, parents, we don't always know as much as you guys do. Kids hear first about what's going on with other kids. Half the time, it's rumors. It can be hard to tell sometimes. But if you're ever concerned about a friend who's having trouble with alcohol, prescription drugs, bullying, violence, anything, you need to tell an adult. Mom or me, a teacher, coach, school counselor, someone you know and trust. Dad, no kid is going to tell an adult about that kind of stuff. I get it, but if we don't know, we can't help. Speaking up about a problem, that's what helping a friend is all about. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. We're all in favor of affordable energy, but what if it involved nuclear energy? One bill is looking to do that, and it's making the rounds in the Missouri legislature. Senator Curtis Trent is sponsoring a bill that would charge for costs associated with construction work in progress before a facility is operational. He explains his bill to Anthony Moribeth. Essentially, uh, the goal of the legislation uh, is to facilitate the construction of more nuclear power uh, in Missouri. We have a, obviously we have a functioning nuclear power plant that, that provides a lot of uh, good clean energy to the state. Uh, but it's been a long time since that was built, and technology has continued to move on. Uh, so, you know, the, the type of nuclear power that I think gets built would be next generation power and particularly the small modular reactors. 
that are beginning to uh, be certified uh, by the uh, by the national government, and uh, and I think are on the on the cusp of being built elsewhere uh, in America. And I'm glad you brought that up because I've been talking about this for a while. I am by no means a scientist or an engineer, but I've always been fascinated by the notion of nuclear energy because to me it seems like. Uh, due to one or two specific incidents, uh, the entire world is like, you know what? I'm not even going to deal with this. It's not worth it. Let's just move on. But I-, I think it's worth mentioning how advanced technology is nowadays. It's made nuclear energy, I guess, more efficient and more cleaner. And uh, I-, I think it's interesting that you want to bring this up for lawmakers to consider. Well, the uh, the technology has continued to advance. Uh, you know, we, we currently use small reactors in a variety of military applications on naval ships. And, of course, you know, these are, these are different technologies, but there are lessons that you can learn. And any time you use a technology, as we have been using nuclear power for decades now, uh, you, you learn more about that and it becomes a more refined uh, technology. Uh, and what is particularly attractive about modular reactors is that they promise to be uh, more self-contained, uh, smaller footprint, uh, a more easily dispersible technology, so you don't have to have like the, the, like the big traditional uh, facility that you think about when you think about nuclear power. These are things that you could put in, uh, in, in more areas um, uh, that would use existing infrastructure. Uh, that we have already built for for the uh, conventional uh, reactors, coal, gas, those sorts of things, as those have to be replaced. Um, and uh, and and I think um, uh, these are these are very safe, stable um, facilities as well. Again, we've been using them for a long time. We have a pretty good idea of what to expect from uh, nuclear reactors. Uh, and, uh, and I think the safety of those reactors has only increased as time has gone on and our experience with them has grown. Looking to expand nuclear energy in order to ensure affordable electricity, and we're talking about nuclear energy in 2023. Uh, Who would have thought? I, I also recognize this has been something you've proposed and sponsored in the past, but uh, how do you plan on selling this not only to the public but to lawmakers at least uh, this time around? Well, I, you know, I think there's there's always still more details to be worked out, and as you alluded to, the financial component I think is the is the is the biggest component. Uh, because we want to have an energy source that is cheap uh, for the public, uh, that protects uh, Missouri's status as, a, as one of the more low energy cost uh, states in the country, because that's how we attract businesses, uh, and, and it's just good for the average rate payer. Uh, you know, everything is going up in price these days. It seems like uh, we don't want electricity to be one of those things that's rising in cost uh, as well. Uh, so, you know, we're uh, looking at a, at a variety of, of language on uh, clawbacks for investments uh, by utility companies uh, and other methods, which hopefully, uh, when combined with the, with the modular reactors, uh, already lower cost, uh, can, can create a scenario where these investments could be made without risking a huge 
uh, you know, tens of billions of dollars that then that then might get canceled or might have have a problem that would prevent development and and basically cost the taxpayer a lot of money, like you have seen in some other states with other more traditional style nuclear projects. And if you're just tuning in, we're talking with State Senator Curtis Trent here on Show Me today. His proposed legislation looks to expand nuclear energy to ensure affordable electricity. Let's talk a little bit about your opposition. Is it as simple as nuclear energy? No way in in you know what are we even going to consider this? Is it as simple as that because of the uh, so-called pollution to the environment that's been uh, brought up at nauseum in the past? So in my experience, there's a variety uh, of, of concerns, and I'll, and I'll try to do justice to the to the detractors, uh, because I, I do think that there's a broad sense that we are we need the next generation of energy producing technology, and it's just a question of how we go about getting there. Uh, some folks are concerned about the nuclear waste uh, that is produced. Uh, and how that will be disposed of. Uh, that, that's a problem that we have no matter what. Uh, and, and it's, uh, and it's a problem I think that, that we are solving, uh, over time. Uh, a lot of the waste that's produced can be reprocessed and used again. Uh, and of course, uh, the amount of nuclear waste that's produced by any of these kinds of facilities is rel- relatively small in, in actual volume, uh, which is why it hasn't been a problem up until this point, even though technically there's no permanent storage. And the, I think a secondary concern, of course, for, for folks that, that have concerns about carbon dioxide emissions and are trying to move the economy to more solar and uh, wind power, uh, neither of those are what we call base load. Uh, energy production that is consistent enough and and stable enough that, that you can run a grid off of it. Nuclear power is base load power. So if you don't want coal and you don't want gas, uh, as the federal government has, has basically prohibited the creation of new coal uh, power plants, then really the only the only other base load that you can replace that with at the scale that we need for the economy is, in my opinion, uh, nuclear power. Uh, so some of the some of those concerns that have been expressed about the waste and the and the other environmental effects over time have diminished as people are looking for ways to sustain a solar and wind uh, based uh, portion of the power supply. Is there? Correct me if I'm wrong. Was there a voter approved ban in place dating back to I don't know? I think like the 1970s related to uh, billing customers for the upfront costs of building nuclear power facilities. Uh, yes, I think that's a fairly accurate characterization. There was a there was a there was a, a vote uh, back in the 70s, I believe, uh, and and as a result of that vote, the financial components necessary to build a project at the scale of a nuclear plant was just no longer available, and so that halted any any further development at that time. So in relation to this bill, I know the the support has been along the lines of what you were talking about, trying to ensure electricity remains affordable moving forward, especially considering prices of everything continues to go up. But uh, this time around, uh, are you expecting this to pass this year? And uh, talk a little bit about your level of support that you've received this year. 
Uh, support has been pretty good. We've we've engaged uh, everyone that that is interested in this in conversation. Uh, we've tried to uh, work out uh, problems. I think that the bill may evolve a little bit more as it progresses through the process. Uh, but I think that it's pretty safe to say that this idea has gotten further this year uh, than it has uh, for several years now. And uh, was there anything that you had uh, in conclusion before we let you go? Um, I would just like to say that I, I think that, that on the issue of energy production, like many other issues that face our state, uh, we have to start looking more uh, long term. Uh, what you know, not just what's going to happen in the next few years, but what is our state going to look like 10, 20, 30 years out into the future? We're in a pretty good place right now in terms of energy production because people 30 plus years ago built the infrastructure that we are using today. And so we have to do the same thing for our kids and our grandkids. We have to make the investments today so that they will have the things that they need in the future. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Meet Keith, loving dad, board game champ, bus driving pro. I drive 65,000 miles in my bus each year. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. Like how there are some things I simply can't see. On my route the other day, a car tried to sneak past me and ends up right in my blind spot. I turned slowly, so accident avoided. But no car should be in the blind spot for a 40,000 pound bus. It's, it's our roads. It's, it's our safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Hi, Grandma. Can Nina come over for dinner? Sure. I've been meaning to ask you, what would happen if someone offered you a drink? Grandma! If anyone ever does, I want you to say, no, I have too much respect for my family and I don't want to get in trouble. I promise, Grandma. They really do hear you. For tips on what to say, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. That's underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This message brought to you by SAMHSA and this station. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past the turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's, it's our roads. It's, it's our safety. safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Women hear a lot about self-care these days. Advice on ways to relax, exercise, eat healthy, and more. Those are all great. But one of the most important self-care steps we can take is making sure we're financially secure later in life. That means saving money for retirement. It's never too late to start. And it's the kind of self-care that brings peace of mind that lasts. For small steps you can take to save for retirement, visit wesaysaveit.org. That's wesaysaveit.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. 
The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. Welcome back to Show Me Today. I'm Bill Pollack. Back in 2024, Missouri Department of Social Service workers won a state government challenge by proposing a plan to help prepare older foster children for the real world. That plan has been put into action. Elisa Nelson talks to three of the ladies making this effort happen. Ann Bachman, Brandy Gohagan, and Renee Brinkman. I want to first talk about why did you see a need to do this? Let's start with Ann. Well, I think we noticed that when youth were leaving care, that they were leaving um, in in bad situations, like ending up um, in prison or homeless. So we wanted to change the way we did business to help these youth become more successful. Brandy, would you like to add anything? We just wanted to be able to have these youth better equipped to be independent and not to um, fall victim to coming back into the system as adults. How about you, Renee? Yeah, I would just say that it really was to be more intentional about preparing youth for self-sufficiency and independence. And the name, is this called the Royals Team? Is that your name? Or tell me a little bit about that. Um, let's go. Let's start with Brandy. Royal stands for Regional Older Youth Advancement of Life Skills. We created this acronym to help us to guide our mission to help these kids achieve life skills into their adulthood of independence. Renee, what are some of the ways that you go about helping these older youth uh, who are in foster care and they're in their transitioning, what kind of specific things do you do to help them? Sure. So really our goal is to work intensely with each of these youth. So each youth has anywhere from two to four visits each month, but really it can be as many as they need. And so the youth develops the goals that they want to work on. And we really just focus on helping them build essential life skills, such as money management, credit building, parenting support when applicable, transportation, stable housing, um, job experience, and really building a support network so that they have people that they can trust once they leave care. Let me go to Anne Bachman. Do you find that you're able to help them to um, obtain all of these goals that they're wanting? I think so most of the time. Um, there are a few exceptions, but um, I'm thinking about 90% of the time we are successful because they just want someone that is able to give them to meet their needs. And typically we haven't been able to do that up until we have a Royals worker to really spend additional time with them because this is an intensive program. So let's go to Brandy Gohagen. Um do you work with like nonprofit organizations? Talk to me about how you can help them to achieve some of these uh, goals that they have. Well, as a worker in the Royals unit, you have access to all the community resources. We have a care portal that connects like nonprofit agencies such as churches, 
um, that allows us to um, send in things like a wish list for our kids. Say a kid's getting an apartment and they need a, a, a couch or a bed or something. There are things called like one simple wish um, that help us provide things that we are not able to pay for as a state agency. So um, being a social worker in the Royals unit and even just in the state of Missouri, you are aware of these resources and we're always sharing new resources and availabilities to our workers that can help these kids. So we have Ann Bachman, Brandy Gohagen, and Renee Brinkman joining Show Me Today. Back in 2020, four Missouri Department of Social Services workers won the state government challenge. How they did it was they proposed a plan to support more foster children aging out of the system. So Ann, Brandy, and Renee joined Show Me Today to talk a little bit about this great effort that they're doing. I'm Elisa Nelson. Um, so are you all tracking if this is helping to prevent things like homelessness and a path of crime and unemployment and all that among the, the foster kids who have uh, transitioned out of the system, Anne? I am going to, sorry, defer to Renee to answer that because she has a little bit more information on that. Perfect. Renee? Yes. So while youth are in the Royals unit, we track outcomes on a monthly basis. So we really track youth that are employed, youth that have a bank account, um, youth with an original copy of their birth certificate and social security card, youth that have permanent driver's license, and then youth that have at least one supportive person in their life. And we track that throughout the program. And we also track that on every youth that leaves care. We're able to check if they had all of those things. Now, once they leave care, unfortunately, they we really don't have a tracking mechanism in place other than the National Youth in Transition database, but this only captures a small percentage of our youth who are randomly surveyed at ages 17, 19, and 21. So what does your tracking mechanism tell you about the ones that you are tracking? So what it is telling us is that we are really increasing the outcomes for these youth. We currently have 71, uh, 71% of our youth that are employed, which is a really big number population of youth. We have 91% of our youth that have bank accounts, and we have 96% of our youth have an original copy of their birth certificate and Social Security card. of our youth have a driver's license or a permit, and 86% of our youth have been able to identify at least one supportive adult in their life. So, okay, and and do you have, like, roughly how many Missouri foster children are in the system and who age out of the system each year? So we know that from a 2021 annual report that around 450 youth age out to independence each year. So we can kind of assume this number is pretty consistent from year to year, give or take a few. Um, Currently, we have 880 youth that fall between the ages of 18 and 20. Within Missouri's system, just to be clear, do they age out at 18? So in Missouri, we have what's called extended foster care. And so youth can actually remain in foster care until the age of 21. This started in southeast Missouri, so back in 2020. So I'm curious if the state has caught on to your bright idea here and and if it's expanded these efforts across the state. What can you tell us, Renee? 
So after we won the Show Me Challenge in 2020, we knew that an increased investment in our youth social, emotional, and physical well-being would contribute to increased success in education, employment, housing, permanency, and stability. And the state of Missouri really bought into that along with us. And so we were given support to expand the Royal statewide. So at this time, there is at least one Royals worker in every region of the state, and that started in September of 2021. And so our hope is really that we will continue to expand the program based on the need of each individual region. And if my records reflect correctly, Renee, you've been with the Royals unit since the beginning, right? Yes, that's correct. Okay, so tell me about the level of fulfillment you you get now that you're doing what you do. So I think personally this unit, the creation of this unit really changed just I mean I think my life in general, but especially my work life, it seeing these youth reach goals that they maybe never thought they could reach is just it's awesome. And the feedback we get back from these youth about how impactful it is to them just makes even the hard days realize that it's always worth it. Brandy, I want to follow up with you, Brandy Gohagen. Um, tell me about your work and um, what you get out of it each and every day. Hi, I'm the newest um, Royals Unit Supervisor. I just started in February, but my motivation for wanting to come to the Royals was I had an older youth in in my home county that re-entered, and there was not a lot of um, data or knowledge as to how to handle a reentry case. And I learned really quick that these older youth just need a champion, someone to be on their team, someone to be their cheerleader, and someone to be a resource connector. And so that motivated me to come to this unit that that's what we do. We're the cheerleader. We're the champion. We're the person that helps these kids to be independent and to make their life 100% better. And I want to uh, tag on to that. Um, talk to me about what your vision is for the future with this type of work. Well, I would love to see the Royals expanded to have, you know, six or eight in each region of the state. But I think that the more time that we spend with our youth, the more successful they are. So having a controlled caseload in this unit is what really makes the difference. And I hope that's where our agency continues to go in the future is to be able to have um, lower caseloads to be able to focus on meeting the needs of our youth. All right. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Show me today.